Our mission, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want people to come to know Christ as their Savior and then live their, their life for Him. And so that's why we're even gathering today. We're going to continue this, this morning in our series. We've been calling this the action of the church. And we're walking our way through the New Testament book of Acts. And so if you have your Bible with you, open it to Acts chapter 10. We're going to look in verses 1 through 48 this morning. And I'm calling this sermon, The Holy Spirit, fill in the blank. So we are going to be talking about God the Holy Spirit today. Hey, one of the deepest theological truths in the Bible, at least for us Christians, kind of wrap our brains around. And so I thought real long and real hard how to begin this sermon. For me, that's the hardest part of writing a sermon. It's like, how do I start this thing? And this is, this is a tough one. So I listened to several other pastors, how they kind of broached this subject and illustrations that they use, and, and nothing that I heard seemed to fit. And I have a bunch of theological textbooks in my, in my arsenal in my office, and here's a a great big giant one, and it has about eight pages in, in really small, small font explaining the Holy Spirit and who He is, and so I just thought I'd read to it, and we just go through these eight pages together. So let's, I'm kidding, I would not do that to you. Um, some of you are like, easy egghead, don't, don't be doing that to us this morning. This is a great book, you ever need to press a flower, but it's got some great theological truths in it, but very, very hard to read, and so thinking, how do I start this sermon? It's like, you know what? We're just going to start with the Bible and hear what God said about it. So with that, read with me in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. The word of God says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household and gave alms generously to the people. And he prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly In a vision, an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius. And he he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel spoke to him, he departed, and he called two of his servants a devout soldier, and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Here's the first point I want to make this morning, and something I hope you realize. Point number one, the Holy Spirit convicts. We just read about a man named Cornelius. Okay, and I want you to see a couple things about this guy. You know, first of all, he's, he's an important guy, okay? He's a centurion, which means, you know, he's a military man. And he's probably a non-commissioned officer, and he leads a hundred men. That's what the word centurion means. And he's part of the Italian cohort. Kind of sounds like secret service type stuff to me, okay? And, he, and he's probably in this garrison that existed in that time of 600 men that were assigned to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea, this is Caesarea by the sea, not, not uh, this other Caesarea that we read about in our Bibles. You know, two similar names, two different places. But Caesarea was where the Roman governor lived. And so, here's Cornelius. He's a military man. He's a, he leads a hundred men. He's part of this, dis, this special detachment that, that uh, protects the Roman governor. He was also part of uh, these guys that would probably have to go out and put down any insurrections that, le- that arose during this time to keep, make sure that the Romans stayed in control. I mean, so he's a man's man. He's, he's very important, very strong, and very skilled at what he does. But did you notice 
He's kind of abandoned his spiritual and cultural heritage. Because realize, he's a Roman. And since he's a Roman, that means that he should be polytheistic. Poly means many, theos, God. So he should worship many gods, because that's his spiritual heritage. And he should also worship Caesar. He was a man. He should worship him as God, since he's a good military man. That's how he should be living his life. And also, if you're a Jewish person during this day, in this age, you would have seen the Romans as invaders. You would have seen them as occupiers. You would have seen them as oppressors. You would have seen them as very evil men. But yet, here's this man, Cornelius, and he's drawn to the God of the Jews. And so he's a devout man. He has respect for God, and he's acting upon the things that he believes in his heart. And he prays and he gives gifts to the poor. And he's actually a Roman soldier that's in good standing with the with Jewish population. And so here's the question we must ask ourselves when we read a text like this. How does that happen? How does, in the world, does a man go from the, the Roman world and he starts to begin to seek out the God of the Jews? Because this doesn't make sense if we're merely thinking logically. Okay, because again, he's a soldier and he's, he's sent to a foreign country, but yet he's turned his back on his spiritual upbringing. He's turned his back on his religious heritage, and now he's begun to seek out the God of the Jews. So this is what we must ask ourselves as believers. How? And why? Why does this happen and how does this happen? And the answer is this. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how that happens. It's an easy answer, but that's the truth. And if we're with us today and you're thinking, Holy Spirit, what are you talking about? That's what they talk about, those Pentecostal churches. What in the world are you talking about? Oh, I'm talking about the third member of the Trinity. He is God too. He, 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 is, he is who we're looking at, this one. And, and we're not only looking at who he is, but I want to look at what he does. And we're told quite a bit about the Holy Spirit by none other than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ should be the one who speaks into this and know about the third member of the Trinity because he is the second member of the Trinity. And when I say second member, third member of the Trinity, that part's not exactly in Scripture, but that's how we try to rationalize it. We're trying to wrap our little human brains around one of the the deepest issues that that exist ever in time, and that's the the issue of the, the Trinity. And we refer to him as God the Father, he's the first person, and and God the Son, Jesus, he's the second person, and God the Holy Spirit, he is the third member of the Trinity. And again, that's not exactly in Scripture, because they're all co-equal, but yet they defer to each other in a very specific way. Here's what King Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, found in John 16, verse 8. Jesus says, and when he comes, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, that's the he. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin. Because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So this is what we can see based off the words of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit convicts. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to do the convicting. You see, the Holy Spirit, He takes a heart that is far from God, and He begins to work in that heart to bring a, a, a realization that there's something in this world that we refer to as sin. And I want us to know that God is a holy God, and He has a righteous standard. His standard is not our standards. His standard is so far above ours. 
And what happens is the Holy Spirit goes to work in our hearts, and what happens is we begin to have this realization, this sense that we are not right with God. And it's because of our sin. And so, for some ways, what's happening here is Cornelius is starting to get it. He's starting to get it. You know, he's not a Christian yet, but the Holy Spirit is convicting his heart. So hear me on this one, church. Christians are not the ones to convict anyone. That's not our job. That is the job and the role of the Holy Spirit. And I say this because I want to be crystal clear to the Christians in the room right now that we don't convict anyone of sin. That's the job of God. So here is our job. You ready? To lovingly preach the Bible. To lovingly preach the gospel and then let God be God. Let the Holy Spirit do His job of convicting our hearts and we do the job of sharing the gospel. So here was the, here's what happened to me. This is my story. Because there was a day many years ago that I was not right with God. I, I knew it. Deep down I knew I wasn't right with God. But if you were to ask me, there's no way I would say that out loud. But I was in a church service just like this. I was sitting on this side of the church, but seven rows back. So if you count, that's where I was sitting. And I knew I was not right with God. And my pastor, he said, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. And he's preaching on that message. And he's going through a laundry list of beliefs. He's saying, this is what the world believes and this is what the Bible says. And he's making a very crystal clear case that what the world believes is not consistent with what God has said in his word. And so he's going through this laundry list. Sex before marriage. It's wrong. He's saying it's so much more than a clump of cells inside a mother's womb. It is a life. And I was wrong. He's saying that the evolutionary theory, it is wrong. And again, I believed all these things. So deep down in my heart, I realized I'm wrong. My entire worldview and everything I've ever held to, it's wrong. The Holy Spirit was punting my heart like an NFL kicker kicks a football. And then my pastor told this story. He, he grew up in a farm in Oklahoma, and he shared this story with us about harvesting wheat. And he said, in order to really to see this, you've got to know something about harvesting wheat. He said, harvesting wheat, it starts, you know, late in the day after the, the dew has dried from the wheat, and you're going to continue harvesting until the dew comes back at night. And he says, you, you get on that tractor, and he was, he was farming on an old open-air Ford tractor. This was back before tractors had closed cabs and air conditioning and radios. There was definitely no GPS. It was just you and that tractor all day long. He says, and eventually there's someone come out with some lunch for you, maybe something to drink, and you'd stop the tractor and you'd woof it down just as fast as you could, and you're back on that tractor and you're harvesting until the dew would come back, and then it was time to stop. He said, but as you're going on, the heat of the day and, and the sweat, it would start trickling down, down your back, and then there was the chaff from the wheat. The chaff from the wheat, he said, would fill every crevice of your body, and mixed with the sweat, it starts to make little cakes inside your shirt. He said, the bugs, oh, the bugs, there's so many bugs. I tried to do some research to figure out how many bugs actually exist in a, in a wheat field, and I couldn't figure it out, but there must be thousands of, of, of different beetles and aphids and grasshoppers and spiders, and Lord knows what else. He said, eventually there comes a time when you don't dream about drinking anything, and you definitely don't dream about eating. eating. He says, there comes a time when all you want to do is you want to be clean. 
All you can do, if I could only be clean, it would feel so good. He says, but you don't think you can get clean because you're so dirty. But then comes the day, the time when you put the tractor away and you run to the hose, which is really just well water, and you turn it on and it is ice cold and you begin to scrub in yourself and eventually you become clean. And yet you never thought you'd be clean. And my pastor said this, there's some of you here right now that are that dirty spiritually speaking. That you're so dirty from the things you've done and the way you've lived your life and you think there's no way that you can become clean. He says, but you can become clean. It's the blood of Christ that can make you clean. And right there and right then, that was me. The way I lived my life and who I was and my beliefs, it took me far from God. I said, there's no way I'd become clean. But the blood of Jesus Christ can make you clean. The Holy Spirit was wrenching my heart, was pointing me to, to God the Son who is the Savior. I walked an aisle that day and gave my life to Jesus. And I believe that's exactly what's happening with this man that we read here named Cornelius. Maybe not exactly like that, but something like that. And the truth is, that is the case for every single person that comes to know Christ as their Savior. The Holy Spirit's wrenching our hearts to let us know we're not right, but yet He's pointing us to the Son. So it is true that the Holy Spirit convicts. That's His job. But you know what else the Holy Spirit does? He empowers. That's my second point for us this morning. Point number two. The Holy Spirit empowers. So we just read about Cornelius, and he's, he's sending this entourage to go and meet Peter because, well, that's what the angel told him to do in the city of Joppa. Well, Joppa, it helps to know, is about 30 miles from Caesarea, and it's, it's by the sea. Let's, let's pick it up and begin reading what happens next. Look in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the, the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a loud voice, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is uncommon or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once from heaven. So at this moment, Peter, picture it, he's in Joppa, and he's up on this housetop, and he goes up there to pray, and he's, he's getting really hungry, and he, he, all of a sudden he fills into this trance. And, and I have to imagine like this trance, almost like he sees the, the ship sailing on the sea, and there's almost like this sail letting down from heaven. And according to this text, there's all kinds of animals on this, and a voice from heaven commanded by the Lord says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Kind of a strange command when you think about it, but then what does Peter do? He does exactly as he often does in the Bible, and he resists. Anybody identify with Peter? Yeah, I'm not going to ask for hands. I always ask for hands, but this one I'm not going to ask for hands, because the truth is every single one of us should raise our hands on this one. We do the exact same as Peter does. Do you remember a day when the disciples and Peter, they're at Caesarea Philippi, this is the other Caesarea I talked about, and Jesus asked the disciples, hey, who do the people say I am? And the disciples said, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say, some say Jeremiah. And then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? 
And it was Peter that stepped up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter hits a home run. Good job, Peter. You got it right. You're, you're the one that got it. And then Jesus says, and yeah, by the way, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and guys are going to grab me and they're going to murder me. And then Peter pulls the Lord aside to set him straight. Awkward moment, right? And then what does, what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. That's not the only time it happened. There was a day when the disciples, they're they're up in this upper room and and Jesus all of a sudden gets up from from the table and he takes a a towel and he girds himself and he goes around and starts washing the disciples' nasty feet. And then he comes to Peter and Peter says, No way, Jesus, you're not going to do that for me. Do you see a pattern in Peter's life? At that moment, Peter leaves the Passover meal and then eventually they go out and he denies Jesus three times. He resists the commands of the Lord. And here in Acts chapter 10, Peter's at it again. He's commanded to do something, to rise and kill and eat something from the sheet. And what does Peter do? He says, no way, Lord. I've never done that. Anybody relate to Peter? Yes, that should be all of us. I know I do. I see myself in Peter. But you know, often the Bible commands us to do things, and sometimes the Bible commands us to do things that are kind of hard. But here's what we need to know. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit empowers us in such a way that He can even override these obstinate you know, uh, Christians that are refusing to do what the Lord tells them to do. And the Holy Spirit empowers us and sends us on, on a mission And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing to Peter right here and right now. Read with me, beginning in verse 17. It says, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen seen, might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiries for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out and asked Simon who was called Peter was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to these men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you would have to say. So he invited them in to, to be his guests. The next day, they, he rose and they went away with them and some of the brothers to Joppa accompanied them. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And they had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I, am too, I too am a man. And he talked with them and went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for, for a Jew to associate and visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So then I was sent for you, and I came without hesitation, and I asked then why you sent for me. I think at this moment, the Holy Spirit is working in Peter's heart, and, and Peter, he sees the vision, and he sees Cornelius, and he's putting together what it means. Look what happens next, verse 30. 
And Cornelius said four days ago, about this hour I was praying in my house in the ninth hour. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And so Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging at, at, at the house of Simon the tanner by the sea. And so he sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So at this moment, it's all making sense. The vision, rise, kill and eat. There's nothing unclean on that sheet. And so by by listening to the next words that come out of Peter's mouth, Peter gets it. Look in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Do you see what the Holy Spirit is doing in the parts of the heart of Peter right here? Because Peter really, he's living out of the Old Testament, if you will. Okay? He's living in a way that's inconsistent with what Jesus said because Jesus already made it crystal clear that there's no such thing as, as clean and unclean foods anymore. This is so much more than just, oh, we can have a bacon sandwich now. Okay, that's not the main, main point here. Because Peter sees this vision in Joppa and he's told he's hungry to rise, kill, and eat. So again, this has more to do with food. It has to do with the fact that what Peter's doing is he is separating himself from the people that Jesus wants him to go to. So as Peter comes to Caesarea, he sees Cornelius and he understands what the vision meant. And he gets the deeper lesson. The Holy Spirit is is overcoming his sins and he's overcoming Peter's shortcomings. Because again, Peter has been distancing himself from the people that Jesus is sending him to. And so thus, Peter was hindering the work of Jesus. But then the Holy Spirit, he, he overcomes all that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit empowers Let's look at what Jesus said. Let's hit rewind on on the book of Acts and go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the Holy Spirit is ensuring that Peter is to be obedient and as, as to do as, as Jesus says he's going to do. And so what the Holy Spirit's doing is he's empowering. Because he takes a stubborn old Christian like Peter, like me, like you, and he sends us out to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. The Holy Spirit is working deep in our hearts to show us what we've done is we've erected these walls and we put these walls to keep us separated from the people that Jesus wants us to to speak to. We erect walls between us and people that don't know Jesus. This is what we do. We put up walls of separation and we say that these are people that are off limits. Now, real quick, I'm not saying there isn't places that Christians shouldn't go, and they're not saying there isn't things that Christians shouldn't do. But this is what we do. We become little Pharisees, and we turn up our noses at things that Jesus never spoke about. There are times that we speak wrongfully about for Jesus in situations that he never said anything about. 
This is what we are real quick, quick to do. We're real quick to, to look at people with different lifestyles than us or maybe think differently than us or maybe those who sin differently than us. And we put up walls. We put up walls of, of, uh, with, between us and the people that I'm thinking of right now. Maybe some of these people are people that trust in another gospel. They're saying, yeah, this other gospel, it's the one that saved. There's only one true gospel. But what we do as little, little Pharisees, we say, oh, those people are off limits. They trust in another gospel. I don't need to go to them, and we're wrong. Maybe we're walking down the street, and we see the people I'm talking about. Do we, do we go to the other side of the street so we don't have to talk to them? We don't, probably don't do anything that brazen, but what we do is we turn up our noses, and we make sure we don't make eye contact with that person, because if I make eye contact with them, well, then I'm going to have to talk to them, and so we don't make eye contact. How dare we? Or do we do what the Holy Spirit would have us do? We go lovingly over to that person. We strike up a conversation with them. We introduce ourselves to them so we can have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. So here's what I need you to know. The Holy Spirit empowers you. He empowers you in such a way that He sends you out on a mission for Jesus. And it's almost like Jesus is right here with you as you're sharing the gospel. And Jesus is great at tearing down these barriers between you and these people that Jesus wants to hear about the gospel, despite your differences. Isn't that exactly what Jesus got in trouble for? Because there's these hypocritical, pharisaical, religious guys that came in and said, oh man, he's hanging out with tax collectors. He's hanging out with sinners. How dare he? If he knew who this woman is that touched him, he wouldn't have that, would he? That's what they say. They say, if he was, he was from God, he'd be hanging out with us upright religious guys. That's what they were said about Jesus. And somehow at, this, at that earlier, Peter missed that about Jesus. But right now, at this moment in Acts chapter 10, he's being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he gets it. Look what Peter says next. Look in verse 36. As for the word, as he sent Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with the power he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And he was a witness of all what he did, both in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem, And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. That's the cross. Peter just preached the cross. Look what happens next. Verse verse, uh, 40. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear. That's the Easter story. We just talked about that last week. He talked about the cross. He talks about the resurrection. Verse 41. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he was the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him and and all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Here's my third point for us this morning. Point number three, the Holy Spirit reveals. See, Here's the the big idea that what Peter wants to get across to these Gentiles, these unbelievers. He wants them to know, Jesus is Lord of all. That's exactly what Peter said. You know what that means? It means Jesus is God. That's what that means. 
He's Lord of all, meaning He is sovereign over everything there is. That there's nothing that exists that's not under the authority of Jesus because He's Lord of all. That Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Peter says that, that the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus and He healed the sick and He defeated Satan perfectly and compliant, obedient to the Father. And he says, and then Jesus died on a cross. Jesus paid the penalty for my sins, for your sins, for all of our sins. And he didn't stop there. Jesus rose from the grave bodily, physically. Those are the critical messages of of the gospel. Peter is making it crystal clear here that Jesus wasn't some type of spirit that just made an appearance after his death. That's not what has happened. That the resurrection, the Easter story is not some weird ghost story because ghosts don't sit down and have breakfast with you. Okay, He's saying, I touched Jesus, I talked to Jesus, I had breakfast with Jesus after he rose from the grave. And he says, you know what, ultimately, Jesus is the one that's going to judge everybody. Jesus will judge every man and woman that's ever walked this earth. The one that went to the cross and died for your sins, he will ultimately judge you. Whether you're living at that time or if you're already dead, Jesus is the judge. You ever thought about that? We always talk about Jesus being the Savior, which He is, but Jesus is also going to be our judge. Here's the gr- some great news about Jesus. This whole book is all about Jesus. The Old Testament prophets spoke about Jesus. The, the message is all about Jesus. And you want, to, you want to know what the message is? It's one of forgiveness. The Bible is not a book of morality. It's a book about forgiveness. How we are not right with God and how we can be made right with God. It comes by God's grace through faith. And he says here, anybody who places faith in Jesus, repents of their sin and turns to him, guess what they get? Forgiveness. And this is all work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing here at this moment exactly what Jesus said he would do. We're going to flip to John chapter 16, and in that moment, set the stage. The disciples are drinking from a fire hose. There's so much information coming, they don't get it. And Jesus explains the, the Holy Spirit. Look in John 16, verse 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he has, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. And he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Can you see that's what's happening to Peter right here in Acts chapter 10? Because Peter's taking this message and he's preaching it to the people. Imagine this. Peter's never been to seminary. Peter doesn't have a big, thick book like this to open it up and figure this all out. Peter doesn't have anything like this. He doesn't even have a Bible at this time. But what does Peter do? He opens his mouth and he preaches. And the Holy Spirit is bringing all these things to the mind of Peter. And I'm telling you this because I think this should encourage us to share our faith. Because God, the Holy Spirit, He will give you the words Please don't for one second be paralyzed with that old saying, well, what if they ask me a question that I I don't know the answer to? This is what you do. Just talk about Jesus. 
Just talk about Jesus. Trust the Holy Spirit will take your imperfect words and He will use it to change a heart that is hard and, and, and far from God and, and soften and bring somebody to God. Just open your mouth and love and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And if we're willing to do that, church, great things will happen. Great things will happen. And don't you love stories where you hear how great things happen? Well, that's exactly what happens next. Let's read in verse 44 about these great things. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even onto the Gentiles. For they were hearing and speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then, then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people? Time out. Did you notice the order? First these people got saved and then they got baptized. There's so many faiths say, oh, you got to get baptized to get saved. Well, not according to God's word. He says, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit? They have already received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he has commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Here's my fourth and final point for us this morning. Just so you know, this is my favorite point that I'm giving you today. Point number four, the Holy Spirit changes lives. If you've been with us through the book of Acts, if we started some time ago and we've been walking our way, what we just read here, beginning in verse 44, this should sound oddly familiar. Did we review this earlier in the book of Acts? Is this deja vu happening all over again? Well, actually, we saw this exact same scene in Acts chapter 2. What we're seeing here is God's rescue mission to save people. Because what's happening here in Acts chapter 10 is there's these non-Jewish believers... And they're getting saved exactly the way that the Jewish believers did in Acts chapter 2. They are receiving the Holy Spirit the exact same way. They're receiving the full extensions of salvation just exactly the same way that Jewish believers did. And it's being, and being manifested exactly the same way as the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. These guys are even speaking in tongues. Here's what I will say to that. God is no respecter of persons. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. Deep theological truth from Pastor John right there, right? Okay, what that means is there's no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor master. There's neither rich nor poor. There's neither black nor white nor any other color. Everyone that God saves is equal in the kingdom of God. This is what I want to see, how this all works. Jesus comes to the earth and he and he alone saves. He and he alone achieves a salvation. And then the Holy Spirit, he's sent by the Father and the Son. He points lost sinners to Jesus who is God the Son. And if we accept the Son by faith, then the Holy Spirit, God himself comes and dwells in the hearts of the people that place faith in Jesus. So you know what that tells you? It says you can't save people. I can't save people, you can't save people, but then again, it's not your job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So don't be worried about how it all works out because just let God be God. Let God save people. He's really, really good at it. Another deep theological truth from Pastor John there. The Holy Spirit is the one that, that changes lives. 
Look at the words of Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus says it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You know what that means? You can't get saved on your own efforts. You can't. You're of no help. You're useless. Salvation doesn't come from within. It comes from without. It's, it's through the Holy Spirit. You know what that should do? That should encourage us. It really do, it does. It should encourage us to let us know that there's no one that's lived such a life that they're beyond saving for God. So here's what the, where the rubber really meets the road, okay? Here's the big takeaway from the time you spent at church today. There are two people in the story. Two main characters in this story in Acts chapter 10. Peter and Cornelius. And every single one of us needs to identify with one of those two men. Okay? Some of you here need to identify with Cornelius. Identify with Cornelius before he met Peter. Maybe his story is your story. Maybe you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit, but you have not been converted by the Holy Spirit. Because you come to a church like this, maybe you've been coming to a place like this for years. And you've been going through the motions. You've been participating in religious activities. Maybe you even tithe. Maybe you belong to a Sunday school class. I don't know. But then you go on, you, you do, maybe you're even like a good person, as some would say. And you do all that you can do to avoid the bad things. And then you do all that you can do to do the good things, just like Cornelius did. But did you notice that Cornelius is convicted, but not yet converted? Maybe that's you. You're a religious person, but you're not a regenerated person who's experienced a new life in the Holy Spirit. And some of you today need to do the exact same thing that Cornelius did before he met Peter. Because you've been convicted, but you have not yet been converted. You know what you need to do? Receive the Holy Spirit. Right here, right now, give your life to God. Accept the Holy Spirit. You need to believe in Jesus. Believe the message that Peter preached. Believe that Jesus is the God-man. He came, lived a perfect life, and then went to the cross. And He hung on the cross. He died for your sins. Being then by His mercy and grace, He offers you forgiveness of sins, eventually freedom from sins. And you can be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You don't need to do a fancy prayer in order to, to, to be forgiven. It doesn't hurt. Maybe for you it's just, God save me. If you say that and mean it, then you're saved. Maybe that's not you though. Maybe you're not Cornelius. But if you're being honest and you look at your heart, you're Peter. Just like Peter, you have obstacles in your own heart that keeps you from reaching out to the people that God wants you to reach towards. You put up these walls of separation. You're calling unclean the things, the people that God does not call unclean. We're calling people that Jesus is loving and and reaching out to. We have deemed them as off-limits. We've deemed them as unreachable. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's racial. I hope not. Maybe for you it's socioeconomical. It's how much money they have in their pocket. This guy's got too little. That guy's too much. I don't know. Maybe it's something else. I don't know what it is, but you know what I do know? I know it's the will of God that all men and women might be saved. That's what he wants. Maybe for you it's political. How sad would it be that we believe in in one side of the aisle, we are unwilling to reach to somebody on the other side of the aisle just because they vote differently than us? How dare we? 
You know God can save anyone? Maybe for you it's sexual. Maybe there's these people that are so caught up in sexual immorality, they're living a life that's inconsistent with what God would have them live, and you've already determined that they're too far gone for God to save. And what the Holy Spirit wants to remind you that there's no heart that's too hard, there's no sin that's too great, there's no one that's too dead that the Holy Spirit can't take them and breathe a new life into that dead person to bring them alive. And you know what the Holy Spirit is doing? He's calling you to go. Not someone else. He's calling you to go. Well, the Holy Spirit can empower you just as you are, where you are, who you are to go and share the gospel with those that He has in your life. You don't have to go to seminary to be a preacher. You don't, all you have to do is be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and tell somebody about Jesus. And you need one more thing. You need to be willing. You need to be willing that when God says go, you say, yes, Lord, I will go. And so you know what we're going to do right now? I'm done being Peter. I'm done being the guy that's too afraid to tell somebody about Jesus. So I'm going to tell you about Jesus right now. And the gospel is this, that God made you in his own image. That every single one of you and myself, the whole world, we are God's image bearer. But yet we sin. We chose to lie, cheat, steal by our own immoral thoughts alone. God should send us to hell forever. But that's not what he wanted. So God himself came to this earth on this rescue mission. The scourging that Jesus took, it should be me, it should be you. The cross that Jesus died on, that should be me, it should be you. But Jesus took it for us. And the very wrath of God the Father was poured out on him. Not because of what he did, it's because of what you did. It's because of what I did. And then Jesus died and he rose from the grave. He defeated sin and death. And if you will call on the name of the Lord, he will save you. Not that your life's going to be perfect. Not that you're, you're, you're going to never experience sin again. But you're going to struggle. And God, the Holy Spirit, will help you with that if you will call on Him. So I'm going to invite you to do that right here, right now. Or maybe you're sitting at your home and you want to give your life to Jesus. Pray a prayer. Say, dear God, I am a sinner. And my sin, it separates me from you. But yet even by my wickedness, Lord, you love me. And you came and died for what I have done. You paid my debt. I place my faith in you and you alone, not in going to this church, that church, some other church, not in me just attending services, not me reading my Bible, not me tithing, no. My faith's in you and you alone. I give you my life. Save me, Lord. And I pray this in the precious, loving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.